Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? How am I doing? Uh, I'm busy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, what else? Uh, you know what? I'm looking forward to this weekend. Okay. Because uh, we're going to finish off the Harry Potter commentary yeah. marathon. Although it'll be available by the time you hear this. Yeah. By the time you hear this, it's available it all ends. Uh, that That's was the right. Thing, right. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about it all ends, including our commentaries. And frankly, this podcast, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so that is available at battleship I'll make a little graphic so that you can just click right on it. I bet we had a blast. I will assume so. Yes. Um, as of right now, predicting the future, Sounds very tiresome. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it uh, won't be as long as last time. But it, no, it's going to be a lot of true. fun. We're going to sit there yeah. uh, snacking on Trader Joe's cat cookies. Damn right we are. I'm looking uh, forward to that. I genuinely that, that's am. That's a big part of it, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know you can buy them anytime. <laughs> uh, and, and chatting with our, our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, friends of the not just our friends friends of the of the show are going to come through and watch a little bit at a time with us while yeah. we watch the last four Harry Potter movies uh, all in a row all day and talk during all of them and uh, I believe this will be the first time in any of the commentaries we've done where we'll be watching four movies all by the same director in one day oh yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's weird that we've never done a director before. Yeah. Like that. We've we've thought about it, and yeah. we, we weren't sure exactly who to do, but yeah. It's, yeah, uh, we, yeah, weird that we landed on David Yates. But we're watching, we're watching four David Yates movies in a row. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we could, you know what? For people that don't like Harry Potter but do love David Yates, maybe yeah. we can play it that way. There you go. Okay. So, with a bonus of uh, Legend of Tarzan, which is a better yeah. movie than, than anybody yeah. thought it was going to be. State of play. Not state of play the movie state of play right which the, was not very good yeah i can't remember who, oh that was kevin mcdonald wasn't it yeah yeah um no the original uh british miniseries mm-hmm. state of play which is quite good yes all right so david yeah uh before we get started uh i wanted to say uh we, were, we weren't sure exactly what to talk about here at the at the top of the show and so, okay, uh, we're going to bring some things together here. Okay. So I recently wrote uh, an article for Battleship Pretension, which I was uh, had a beef with uh, several conservative uh, film critics. Um, or, sorry, one critic and two commentators, but focusing specifically on the critic Kyle Smith. Um, yeah, keep, yeah, keep saying his name. I hope he reads it. <laughs> Let's get him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's based in uh, D.C., if I had to guess. But anyway, um, but yeah, and so uh, looking back at some of the uh, news items that I've written, not that this necessarily counts as news, but looking back, I realize that I I tend to, I guess because I realize that very few other people on the site are privy to this kind of thing, but I tend to write about my frustration with my fellow conservatives or my fellow Christians uh, when they talk about movies. Um and uh, it's a thing I feel comfortable doing. Uh, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, just so angry all the time. But you're like the the uh, Combs of Hannity and Combs, right? Except switched, right? What? Oh, yes, exactly. He was the liberal who was yeah. comfortable among the conservatives. Yes. You're the opposite. Uh, yeah, and it's... it's and you're here... You're here less to represent the conservative point of view than to uh, confirm our suspicions about conservatives. In some in some cases, um, this yes. is at this point more about Combs than you. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, um, but uh, but yeah, and so there are, there are times when I just where I feel like it's like well I I'm not doubting my politics or anything, but it's just like I feel like all I'd ever do is something I've. I've actually come to be known for in certain circles is I'm the guy that comes in and just bashes the people that agree with him. Um, That's but good. don't you worry. I want to get that gig. Don't you worry. Well, I, you know what? I hate to say it, you're far away from it. Um, I'm joking. Of course, not that particular gig. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Setting people straight. Exactly. But here's the thing. Every once in a while, a movie comes out that is very much for, I'd say, a more left-leaning audience. Uh, I'm sure the director would say otherwise, but there, we all know. Um, okay, in this case, I doubt the director would say it. You don't think so? 
I just knowing what his Twitter is like, I don't think okay. he has any interest. Fair enough. Um, but yeah. And so, uh, <clears throat> so I saw the trailer for vice directed by Adam McKay and you know, uh, just because I uh, hold my fellow conservatives' feet to the fire, that doesn't necessarily mean I have to just swallow whatever liberal cra- uh, claptrap. <laughs> I almost said crap, but that's enough. Um, no, claptrap is a better choice. Uh, I'll say this. It doesn't look awful to me because I like those actors. Okay. I have no doubt it's, you're, we're going to get a really committed performance by uh, Christian Bale. Um, Amy I'm Adams. I'm excited for Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush is whatever your political leanings. That's great. Cast. That is. How did it not happen before yeah. this? Um, and who is Amy Adams playing? Uh, I think Lynn Cheney. Oh, okay. Um, and then Steve Carell as Rumsfeld, um, I think could work pretty well. Uh, so on that front, I think it's probably going to be pretty good. Here's the issue. Now I know that you liked the big short more than I did. Yeah. I um, but the big short is still Adam McKay comes out of comedy and the big short, he found the comedy in just the sheer absurdity of that situation. And so the film is funny at times. Um, and even for myself who didn't like it because Adam McKay is a talented comedic mm-hmm. director. And so if he's trying to be funny, he probably will be. Yeah. Um, I thought it was funny a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and I think that's just, for me, I just, I, there are other things that I just found frustrating about. It. I was like, okay, well, the thing you're going to for comedy isn't working for me, but that's fine. But it's still, he's still working with very funny concepts and with funny people, and he still has comedic sensibilities. Vice does not look like it is trying to be that, and that's okay, except I don't trust it at all. Uh-huh. Because when you have somebody, okay, comedy is not always broad, but I would say that there is a certain broadness to Adam McKay's comedy. So when you bring that broadness to drama, I cannot imagine anything worse. Political drama, no less. I haven't watched the trailer because I don't watch right. trailers. I've also, I've kind of stopped. I used to like watch trailers after I'd seen a movie just to, cause I was curious sure. how I don't even really do that anymore. I just don't watch trailers. Anymore. It can be vaguely interesting sometimes to see yeah. how a studio is trying to, to yeah. sell something. Um, and there, and I don't, I don't watch a lot of trailers beforehand, but I was, it's usually I'm curious about a performance or something like that. Uh, and so I did watch this and you know, the movie could turn out to be great. And the thing, and, uh, you know, 10 years ago, Oliver Stone's W came out, which featured Josh Brolin as George W. Bush, which is also Also solid solid casting and Richard Dreyfuss as Dick Cheney. The whole cast was pretty solid. Um, but, uh, and I remember going into that. It's like, well, Oliver Stone can be known for his, uh, some histrionics as well. And he is undoubtedly suspicious of the, uh, or straight up condemning of, of the Bush administration. But despite, even though Oliver Stone has certainly lost a step since the days of JFK and Nixon and platoon and all that kind of thing. Um, he is still an artist first. And I think he finds character interesting. And I think when he gets, I think when he decides he wants to explore, uh, the inner workings of people that he does not like, I think he sees, sees them as characters first and really wants to do justice to how they got where they got it, which is why Mm -hmm. Nixon is such a great movie. And W is so much more, so much, I won't say fair. I'll say curious. It's so much more genuinely curious, uh, than I ever thought it would be. And I think it's because Oliver Stone is a very specific type of director first Adam McKay, I do not take remarkably serious as a dramatic director. And so I feel like Vice is going to be just so, I use the word histrionic, just so histrionic Mm -hmm. and so broad and so generalizing that I feel like even the, no doubt, I think solid work that Christian Bale is going to turn in. I feel like even that is going to fall away to a movie that is just so... I don't know. And I might be wrong. I'm, and I'm perfectly fine to be wrong if I am. Uh, but just a film that is so unapologetically one-sided, which doesn't bother me, but also completely uncurious. 
Yeah. I don't think he's going to be curious at all. Well, we'll have to wait until late December, apparently. Uh, right, yeah. To see it. Just uh, in time for Christmas, so you can see it with the family. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. Well, I can't wait for us to revisit it. I can't wait for it to top my top ten list. Sure. Uh, at the end of the year. Was uh, the big short, you liked the big short a lot. Was it in your top it ten? It was in my top okay. ten, yeah. It didn't top. What year was that? 15. 20, 15, oh, 14, right? No, that was 15. Was that 15? Okay. All right. Yeah, that's right. I don't remember what my top movie was of 2015. Mine was Brooklyn. Okay. Yours, I don't remember what yours yeah, was. Yeah, you usually remember what mine, <laughs> what mine were. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. All right. This is probably forgettable. Anyway. Uh, um, okay. Yes. Uh, let's pay some bills. Let's do it. I agree with you. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Broker 2, which is a thrilling dark comedy about a small-town serial, serial killer just trying to make it in the Big Apple. After starting a relationship with non-murderer Sarah, he must fend off a rival organization of serial killers and eventually question his way of life. Will he keep up his murderous ways, or is he just another small fish in a big pond? Broker 2, Broker two is currently in production, but needs your help to become a reality. The project is already 35% funded. Uh, it has a couple weeks to go, so this is the time to uh, to help them out. Uh, backer incentives include a copy of the film, bloody costumes worn on screen. I like to think that that is meant to to be British. It's just costumes worn on screen. It's like, but the bloody costumes worn on screen. That's the way. I, uh, you can get ice cream with the director. I don't know where he is based, but I assume, look, I assume if you put enough money in, they'll just fly you out and you can get some ice cream, uh, flavor, uh, buyer's choice. Um, and then, uh, and speaking of choice, uh, you could also get a credit of your choice. So if you want to help out with broker two, just go to battleship and click on the broker ad on the right, uh, sorry, on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, and then also this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent international and classic films. Everyday movies curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only eight 99 a month. Plus when you use their mobile apps you can download films to watch offline currently available on movie is michael mann's manhunter yeah which is just a marvelous film it's terrific um i cannot recommend it highly enough uh i know that uh shout factory when shout factory released on blu-ray was it under scream factory uh i think it might have been yeah i don't remember though um but yeah uh so the reason that I bring it up is because since making the transition to Blu-ray, like this, this really nice, I think, I think it's a 4k, uh, transfer. And I think that's what movie has. So, and it's a gorgeous film, really wonderful use of yeah. color, really uh, marvelous cinematography. It's as 80, it's as eighties as all hell. And I don't even care. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's dated, but in a, it's, there's something that I, I kind of, in a way I kind of respect Michael Mann that he's making a movie for right now. And yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, like cause collateral is kind of the same thing for it. So yeah, I think, yeah. Like if you, I feel like if you try to be timeless, it's going to wind up not really being for anybody. Um, I'd rather a movie feel dated in its, in its style, but still be sincere and, and honest and that sort of thing. So, uh, anyway, but yeah, Manhunter is marvelous. It's, it's the first on screen depiction of Hannibal Lecter by the great Brian Cox, who brings some really interesting things to the character. Uh, but yeah, great cast all around. I cannot recommend Manhunter highly enough. I wish William Peterson were still in movies a lot. I like him. Yeah, I think I do too. And uh, not just as an on-screen presence, but I also, uh, any interview that I've seen with him, he just seems like a really cool, like down to earth guy who really likes just, he never seems to have gotten over the excitement of being in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime I see him in an interview with him talking about like CSI or Manhunter, he just seems like, he just always seems to have a smile on his face. Like, wow, I can't believe I was in that. That's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, I miss him. I kind of, I stopped watching CSI before he left. So I never watched any of the, uh, it was Ted Danson and then Lawrence Fishburne, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I never, I never watched any of those episodes, mm-hmm. but, uh, I watched about eight years of CSI with, yes, you with sure did. Uh, yeah, I forget that. It was a good show. Yeah. And he was, uh, 
roller coaster enthusiast, his character. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like an occasional thing they would. Yeah. Uh, and also, I think he was into S and M. Like he was into being submissive. Like he went to a mistress. There were like weird things that would come up. Yeah. Like oh, this guy's a bizarre. Like it sometimes would like hint at what kind of person devotes their life to this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I liked that show. I liked his performance on it. And if you and if you look at the common denominator there, this guy's kind of a thrill seeker, and uh-huh. yeah. you know the nature of of being you know a crime scene investigator. I would guess in life is that you show up after the action has happened. Right. I imagine they get drawn into the action pretty frequently. I on remember, that show. Like in the pilot, there's like, cause there's a cop character played by Paul Guilfoyle. And like, I think in the pilot when they're training the new guy, they're like, you know, we never are in the interrogation room. With right. Them. That's, what the cops do. We don't carry guns. We don't interrogate. Like, I think two episodes later, they yeah. like abandoned that. like foot through the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, so, and, and William Peterson is very good in Manhunter. It's a very, yeah. you know, we've seen that character played by Ed, Edward Norton and then Hugh Dancy. Um, but I do think, is it Hugh Dancy, right? It is. No, I forgot that Edward Norton played the character. Oh, yeah, I never yeah. saw Red Dragon. It's not bad. It's just, it's definitely, it's not particularly original. They're just trying to approximate Silence of the Lambs. Um, but anyway, uh, but yeah, Manhunter is a marvelous film. Uh, there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. You see Me? tweaked? Yes, you, okay. the listener. You see tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. And what's more, Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. You know what we're going to listen to this week? The Carter 5, Lil Wayne, finally dropped... That's what you say um, about albums. Mm. Um, he dropped the Carter Five, and uh, it's good. I feel like we're talking about slightly different eras, but like Eminem just ha- has had a couple of like new albums over mm-hmm. the past year, and they're both really bad. Yeah. Uh, whereas Lil Wayne is at this point, he's been around long enough to sort of be getting into that sort of like, um, elder statesman type of like, mm-hmm. um, uh, role. And for him to put out something like the Carter five, that is really good, uh, is, um, uh, I think really heartening. So I liked the Carter five, uh, and it sounded great on my tweaked earbuds. You can, uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweaked But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension. If debit is your go-to card, discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out discover Cashback debit, a game changing checking account with cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. This is going to be a fairly short episode. All right. Uh, because this is our Los Angeles Film Festival wrap-up. Um, you didn't go to the festival, so it's just me. Yeah. And this... Uh, I'm just going to play a game on my uh, phone while you talk. <clears throat> no, I need you to... Uh, bounce things off of and okay. to occasionally talk so that I can get a drink of water. Got it. Um, so this year the festival moved from June to September. I'm hoping to work things out schedule wise in future years to make that work for me. That did not work for me mm-hmm. this year. So, uh, I only have five movies to talk about. All right. One of them, I saw a press screening before the festival. So I really only saw four movies at the festival, but had a pretty good, uh, track record. Only, there's only no, I'm going to start and end today with movies that I think are terrible. Oh, good. But one of them is the uh, press screening one. So the movies, the four movies that I saw at the festival, I like three of them. All right. That's saying something. Um, I buy that's that still for a dollar. That's still like a 75. That's a C. All right. Well, anyway, they were good. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, uh, hopefully next year I'll go back to being able to see more and hopefully I'll be able to find a guest who has seen some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um we usually do this with Kyle Anderson, but again, with the move, I think to 
September, yeah. it was right before Beyond Fest, and I think Kyle, working for Nerdist, Beyond Fest coverage is kind of uh, yeah. uh, in in uh, prime in pole position there. Uh, Speaking of Nerdist, uh, and it is sort of in a very roundabout way, um, I'll tell you what I was listening to with my tweaked audio earbuds. Hard and firm. I was listening to Mike Furman specifically. Oh, okay. um, uh, Listening to his his track called "Irony and Wine," where oh, he yeah. he appro- approximates uh, Iron and Wine. Iron and Wine. It is so funny. Yeah. It is. I mean, it is like pitch perfect. Both. I mean, as as a as a as a parody. Yeah, of, he's really good at approximating. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Sam Sam Beam. Is that the real guy? That sounds right. Yeah, name? yeah. Uh, his voice. Yeah. Yeah, and but also just the the comedic conceit of that song is hilarious yeah. i love it anyway sorry go on yeah uh i like i like i've always liked mike Furman. i do too um, yeah all right uh we'll start with the the one sort of big ticket like um the one i went to a press screening of that already has a release date in fact is coming out uh right around the time you hear this um is Rupert Everett's directorial debut, The Happy Prince. Right. Which I've already mentioned on Movie Journal, so I yes. won't go into too much detail here. But, um, your, Tyler, you, all of your fears about actors turned directors oh, yeah. are realized in The Happy Prince. It's a vanity project, a showcase. Mm-hmm. It's also incredibly indulgent. Yeah. Self indulgent. And,. I feel like the movie is less about Oscar Wilde than it is about Rupert Everett. Sure. And he's projecting some of his own bitterness, I think onto Oscar Wilde, you know, being sort of, uh, it, it's, it seems to me, and I wrote this in my review that Rupert Everett sees Oscar Wilde being jailed for homosexuality as secondary in terms of egregiousness to his adoring public turning their back on him. <laughs> like that seems to be what, what really sticks in Rupert Everett's craw about the, the later stages, the, the final chapters of Oscar Wilde's life. Um, I, I, that feels a little like, cause he's one of them uh-huh. is not going to happen to Rupert Everett. The other could right. and maybe has and thus maybe I don't know. that's I, the worst one i feel like I, I yeah i mean the guy still works oh yeah uh yeah um anyway um yeah like i said really self-indulgent also another thing that i think is kind of an uh, like a first first time director thing especially maybe actors and director but ge- generally sort of a first time director thing is there's a lot of like look at this camera angle look at this lens flare directing oh yeah <laughs> you know what i mean absolutely <laughs> like like in trying to prove that they're directors they show that they are not <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i can't I, i'm not gonna go into much more detail because i already talked about it on a movie journal yeah uh and i don't feel the need to um sit here and slog off a movie for 20 minutes you can yeah. read, my, read my review um uh, it mostly says what I just said. All right, let's get into the actual movies that I saw at the festival. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pull my letterboxed. Okay. Because I have forgotten. Okay. I <laughs> forgot the name of the first one that I saw at the festival. Um, it's called softness of bodies. Okay. Uh, and it is about a young, uh, uh, uh American poet, mm-hmm. um, living in Berlin and struggling to get by financially. Um, and then her ex-boyfriend from Los Angeles comes to Berlin for work cause he's a professional photographer and it sort of stirs up some stuff. She's currently seeing a German, uh, guy who, um, is already in a relationship. Uh, she's like the other woman in this guy's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so, I think the movie is a little too my demerit demerits against it. I think it's a little too self-conscious about like trying to be, uh, trying to make her this sort of disaffected, um, girl as sort of like a comic mm-hmm. device. Like the fact that she's like always so like monotone and straight face, about everything, even when her life is falling apart. Um, I think some of that is a little too, too, too forced. But on the other hand, I do like 
the movie's commitment and the actress's commitment. I'm forgetting her name right now to, um, uh, Dasha. Oh yes. Necrosova. Yes. A very long name. Yeah. I like the movie's commitment and her commitment to her character being just a truly terrible person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just a, true narcissist okay there's a part i won't say what's happening but she's talking to a friend of hers who has been arrested for a serious crime and he's talking about what like how awful it is and she's like yeah i know and i've got this poetry thing i'm trying to get this grant (laughs) coming up that i don't think i'm gonna be ready for like (laughs) um and that's just one example. Like that's just how she acts. She's completely self-centered all the time. And, um, I like that commitment to having an unlikable lead character and making that be the movie and yeah. making it be, I like the, I like the idea of a situation where, cause she's trying to get like the sort of through line is not this heinous crime that happens, but that's also kind of the joke of the movie to mm-hmm. me is that, um, in any other movie, this terrible thing that happened would be the main thing. Right. No, the main thing is that she's up for this grant and she has to write a poem yeah. and present it to the people. Uh, and she's struggling to get a poem written and that's her. That's all she hmm. really cares about. So I like the idea of a movie in which the thing that the main character wants, we don't want her to get right. and her rival, who the person she sees as her antagonist is clearly more deserving. <laughs> I like that idea. I do think the movie puts its thumb on the scale a little too much in it. Like it, it, she stops being believable, um, at certain, in certain points because the movie's going for the joke over the reality, over the truth. Um, but it's a, it's a fun time. It's also, there's a, I'm going to Berlin in just a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I can't wait to go. It looked, uh, and not, not in a travel log way, but in like a, here's a street level sort of Berlin cool place. Like I'm looking forward to, uh, my wife light ro- rolled her eyes when I told her this, but I'm looking forward to bars you can smoke in. Uh, I miss that it, about cities. Even yeah. New Orleans doesn't have it anymore. Hmm. Vegas is like, Vegas. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Vegas is like the only place in the country where you can still smoke indoors and have a drink no. or whatever. I, I couldn't believe when I went, it's been a year since I've been in New Orleans when I went to New Orleans and, you couldn't smoke in the bar. I, I got to go outside in that humidity. I couldn't believe it. I mean, yeah, New Orleans in October is actually beautiful. Uh, sure. Well, except for that it was hurricane season and a hurricane came. I forgot about that part. Um, <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm a child. I'm 36 years old and I'm still like the, the fact that I still smoke cigarettes is just ridiculous. Um, I should stop. You got to cling right? to something, you know, some relic of your youth. Oh, I got all sorts of relics in my youth. Fair enough. Uh, I can listen to, uh, I can listen to punk rock or whatever. That's true. I still do that all the time because I'm still totally punk. Right. Uh, Incidentally, the uh, the director uh, Jordan Blady. Yes. Um, looking at his uh, publicity still here, he is very disappointed in you. Oh yeah, he's not happy. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, being a, a relative of Vladimir Putin is not helping either. <laughs> but uh, I hope he hears this. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Next up is my favorite movie of the festival. Okay. Uh, it is a. Uh, I'm going to call it a horror comedy, even though it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface. Uh, it's the feature directorial debut of a director named Nick Corderosi. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at his IMDb, it's like his 70 something directing yeah. credit. Cause he's directed like a ton of funnier die stuff and other right. like internet short comedy stuff. Um, but this is his feature directorial debut and deep murder. The premise of the movie is that it takes place within a nineties era, like Skinamax softcore porn movie. And then one of the characters is murdered. And so like the opening section like is shot with like Vaseline on the lens yeah, yeah. very gauzy and then once a character uh, I'll give this away because it happens right away a character played by Jerry O'Connell is murdered mm-hmm. um, uh, it snaps into just looking like HD but I need to be very clear about this and this is something that I like when I read the premise what I thought was like oh it's these characters these archetypes from this very silly type of thing being thrust into reality. No, it's not that they're not thrust into reality. They're just thrust into a different genre. Yeah. It's a like, and then, and then they were none type of, cause they're all, oh yeah, they're also 
in a mansion that they can't leave because there's a storm coming or there's a storm outside. Mm-hmm. So they're like locked in this mansion and this killer is picking them off and they're trying to figure out which one of them it is. But also when I say mansion, don't picture like an Agatha Christie type mansion. This is a porn mansion. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the very sort of tacky, like, uh, marble and tile, you know, um, <laughs> porn mansion. Uh, in fact, I stayed for the Q and a because I, that's something I normally do. But when I like a movie, when I have so much fun in a movie, yeah. I stayed for the Q and a. So there's a part where there's a cameo from an actual adult porn actress. And one of the producers was like, yeah, when she showed up on set, she was like, oh, I've been here. <laughs> um, uh, and the, so the cast, the, the, the three big names of the cast, um, who are all in smaller roles are, I mentioned Jerry O'Connell, also Christopher McDonald is in oh, it. Nice. Um, and Katie Azelton, um, from, she's from the league, but also from a bunch of other stuff. Okay. Um, those are the three sort of names you might recognize. Um, but, uh, there's also an actress named Stephanie Drake who was on Mad Men. She played a receptionist um, named Meredith, uh, who uh, Christina Hendricks threw a model airplane at. Uh, if you remember that scene, um, and I, I, what's really so it's it's full of crazy humor. Like some of it is gory, gross-out humor. Some of it is patently absurd. Some of it is very winking. There's um, there's a the, there's a character who brings up the Bechdel test only in, in, in such a way that highlights that the movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test and in fact something like she's about she's talking about the Bechdel test in such a way that is about to win <laughs> past the Bechdel test and then gets cut off before she now I do want to say in the movie's events by the end it has passed okay. the Bechdel test but at that scene it's like the scene being you know aware uh, aware of itself uh, in a very funny way um, um, so so it's it's all these different kinds of humor uh, some, like I said, some of them very juvenile, some of them very, very smart, and some of them just r- ridiculous. But also, it's a movie. Like I, I don't want to get too highfalutin here because I think the writers and producers might roll their eyes. But I also think it's a movie about fiction and genre and the way that it is a window to the world and like the more sort of types of fiction these characters come into contact with the more they become whole people hmm. you know um like one of the characters is the babysitter yeah like because she's playing this porn archetype and there's a part in the movie where people are talking and you just can t- tell she's like thinking about something and then like it zooms like cuts to a close one of her and she says like kind of quietly to herself she's like I don't think there are any kids in this house. Hmm. Like who am I babysitting? Yeah. But it's, it's kind of funny, but it's actually played as a character yeah. beat, like a, this moment of revelation. And you're seeing these characters sort of adapt by, by levels. They're, yeah. um, uh, they're becoming more whole people yeah. as the movie goes on. It's a really, uh, a really exciting premise that, could have been like I talked about Nick Corey Rossi's, you know, his CV. It, it could have been another one of these like single joke, you know, let's just, yeah. let's just, uh, or single premise. Let's get all the jokes we can out of this. But the fact that it keeps elevating, yeah. uh, it keeps leveling up, um, is really committed. It's super committed. I mean, that is the number one word yeah. to, for this movie is that it commits to this crazy thing. Uh, it and, feels and like really, it could have really been fun. like a David Ives play or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah it, this definitely has more, uh, you know, dildo humor, I guess. Sure. Than David Ives. <laughs> um, I don't know. I haven't seen all of his stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's called deep murder. Did I say that already? Yes. Okay. Deep murder. It is absolutely my favorite, uh, not even really close. My favorite movie of, the of the festival is it getting uh i don't know oh man i hope that's, so that's one of the fun things about la film fest is it pretty tends to be pretty early on the uh yeah was it well received in general like did people like it i mean yes because um hold on let me take it okay yeah i didn't take a drink of water so here's something that happens at every festival 
um, every major festival, like the movies are in categories. Like this one's called this and this one's called, you know, and some of it's just competition, but then there are more specific categories. And when I first started going to festivals, I like wouldn't really pay attention to that. I was just like, I'm just going to see what I want to see. I don't mm-hmm. need to fall into, but I started, I've started thinking about it more, um, and this one is in the category they call Nightfall, which is movies that tend to be later. This one started at like 9.15 or something, mm-hmm. but it was like 9.15 on a weeknight is still kind of a late yeah. <laughs> uh, a late showing, and they tend to be more genre um, and stuff like that. So I think being in the Nightfall section meant that the people who showed up for this movie, also I was at the second public screening, so there might have been some word of mouth um, from the first one. Uh, but the people who showed up for this movie were the kind of people who were primed for this kind of movie. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it had a really great response okay. in, in the, in the audience. Um, I really hope that people get a chance. To and you see know, it. the more I think about it, this is something I was talking about with a friend of mine the other day that like, there are so many streaming services that like the idea of a movie not being put out there in right, some yeah. capacity, I feel like that's one of the great things uh, about the, the current system. Um, and maybe one of the negative things is that, services are just you know hungry for content of any kind and it might actually when everything gets when everything gets a deal and i'm you know generalizing when i say that but like when everything gets a deal it means that the concept that something being deemed good enough to release doesn't really mean much anymore <laughs> you know but the the i mean i think that's a good there's a, it's good that there are avenues for so many things to get yeah. distribution but the downside of that is it really highlights the importance of something that i generally hate as a punk rocker which is marketing sure because it's all well and good that something's you know available on you know uh you know view boo or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Oh, I, if I don't know it's there, yeah. I'm never going to uh, be able to watch it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There are times when I'll be, you know, I'll be driving around Los Angeles and I'll see one of the billions of uh, billboards and I just, and I think Epic still exists. Oh, Epic is, yeah. But it's, it, not only does it still exist, but it's one of the higher profile it's ones. Thriving. Yeah. yeah. And so, but all sorts of new, you know, original content mm. on Epics. They have the Get Shorty uh, right. TV series. Um, they have. Uh, what are they showing now? That they brought back that um, boxing reality show, The Contender. Oh yeah, okay. for like a fifth or sixth season. Yeah, and now yeah. that's airing on Epics. Yeah, and it's and so yeah. Not I had heard. I knew of it. I thought it had gone away. Not only is it back. It's putting out new content yeah. and apparently can pay for some, uh, for your consideration billboards. Yeah. Uh, and so, so, and there, there are smaller services than that. So yeah, it's, there's definitely a specialty. There has to be a specialty quality to it, but you know, something like this, Netflix could pick it up or something like shutter could pick it up. And I think, Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. I think people would appreciate it. Shutter might be a good audience for it. Yeah. You know, um, I love horror fans. I do and I don't. I, I, I feel like that, like, I don't know. I, I just get the impression that horror fans are really open to stuff. Eh, this is why I say certain types. Okay. Because there are the horror, f- there are fans of a very specific type of right. gory horror, you know. And so when you get stuff like The Witch or the Babadook, or something like that, where there's horrific and genuinely unnerving stuff in it, but it's not gory and it's not that. You look at the at comments on Amazon or when Netflix used to have them for movies like that, and people say, "Oh, I re- like I I had heard it was so scary. I was really excited to say like they have a very I think in I think some of them have a very narrow definition of what a good horror movie right. is, and it's the more I think about, it, I was talking about this with. Uh, uh, my friend Reed Lackey, who's the host of the fear of God and is knows more about horror than anybody else. I know um, that it is unfortunate and it's understandable, but it's unfortunate that horror became synonymous with scary because they don't necessarily need right. to get, need to go together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I hope people get a chance to see deep, deep, sorry, deep murder. I can't talk all of a sudden. All right. Uh, next up is a movie called 
We the Coyotes, which is funny because there was just a movie earlier this year called We the Animals, mm-hmm. which so this sounds like a clarification. Right. <laughs> like, We the Animals. To be clear, We the Coyotes. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> we not all the animals. <laughs> Um, anyway uh but it's a very different movie than we the animals but also it's not uh, to be clear it's not as great as we the animals is great Mm -hmm. this one is merely quite good uh but it stars morgan sailor um who is a young actress that i am a big fan of she was on homeland um it's crazy there was the the like least popular storyline in Homeland at one point involved Morgan Saylor and Timothy Chalamet, who have mm. since gone on to be like yeah. two of my favorite young actors. Um, she was also in a movie a couple of years ago called white girl that, um, I hated, but maybe that's just cause I'm old. Um, but anyway, she and her boyfriend, uh, the, the actor she plays, <laughs> sorry, the character she plays and her boyfriend in we, the coyotes move, uh, to Los Angeles from Illinois and uh, don't have a lot of money to their name. They have a relative to stay with played by played by Betsy Brandt. Hmm. Um, but that doesn't go so well. Uh, and so suddenly they find themselves in Los Angeles with a car and a little bit of savings and no jobs. And they have to figure out how to, how to survive or whether to turn tail and go back to Illinois. Um, story wise, I do think the movie has a bit of problem with, there are some convenient beats. Sure. The story hits, but, and you know, sometimes you can't help being subjective. I think this movie for me personally, at least so much and so fully captures what Los Angeles felt like to me when I was n- new mm-hmm. from the Midwest and broke yeah, and often jobless. Um, cause I worked sporadically when I first moved out here. Um, and also not alone, you know, yeah, you I moved out here with I, somebody. I did. I moved out here with someone and she did have a job waiting for her, which was good. It wasn't, mm-hmm. a, you know, it was a receptionist job. Not like, yeah. uh, you, you know, she wasn't carrying a briefcase, uh, <laughs> every day, but, um, yeah, so there there are some some differences, but I would say this movie, which takes place over the course of say a day and a half, felt felt like it encapsulated my first year and a half in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, it even mostly takes place in my old neighborhood of Hollywood, even even though it's a part of Hollywood that uh, I found myself reflecting while watching the movie um, how different it looks because uh, that area of um, like Hollywood and Sunset like. Um, east of Vine, like mm-hmm. Gower, Bronson, right, Van right. Ness, that area. Like there are so many big buildings now. In fact, I was just at a press screening at the Netflix building, which didn't exist when I moved yeah. here. Um, and Netflix building is crazy, by the way. I've not been. I haven't been there. It's it has so many of the like stereotypes of like tech workplace. Like it has. Yeah. There's so much free food everywhere. <laughs> there are like fully stocked fridges with glass doors. So you can see what what's in there with like, you can get your almond milk. You can get a frozen pizza that you can heat up. There's like, like, you know, uh, big tubes of like cashews that you can just like, right. you know, open up the tap and get yourself some, there's like cashews on tap. <laughs> and then I assume it's nothing but standing desks, right? Um, you know, they didn't take us to the actual work area. Okay. Uh, that's the other thing is that we had to be uh, escorted to the, uh, the upside down screening room. Uh, it's not actually upside down. It's named after the upside down from stranger things, which is on the 13th floor. Okay. Um, and the elevators are also crazy at Netflix. So it's a bank of six elevators, three on each side. You don't hit up or down. Mm -hmm. You go to a big comically large keypad and you type in what floor you want to go to. And then it tells you which elevator to wait in front of. And then you get on the elevator and you don't hit any buttons. It just takes you to the floor you picked. It's weird. <laughs> that feels more complicated, <laughs> more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, it's fun though. With the sure. big keypad, you know, <laughs> uh, anyway, that's enough talking about Netflix. Um, back to we, the coyotes. I don't have that much more to say about it. Um, yeah, it had some problems, but, um, I like a movie. Oh, I also, I should have mentioned this. Another thing that 
made me think of myself when I first moved out here. And the movie wisely never makes a big point of this, but it repeatedly puts them next to th- places like Skid Row, where right. we realize, like, oh shit, they're short on cash, their car's gonna get towed. But there's occasional reminders that, like, they have options. Yeah. You know, like, this is, this represents something that's difficult for them, mm-hmm. but also they could have it worse. And I think that's something that, um, you know, Los Angeles gets criticized. I think rightfully in some cases for being kind of soulless a lot of the time. Um, but one thing about it, I mean, accepting places West of Sepulveda that are like West of Sepulveda and North of the 10 that are like rich enclaves, Mm -hmm. like in a lot of places, the, you know, nicer or middle-class parts are just a couple of blocks from, from uh, very low, low income, uh, places. I mean, think about like, um, USC is a great example. Like USC is like, you know, middle-class college students from all over the country who are three blocks from like, Oh yeah. Probably not as bad as it was 13 years ago when I moved here, but a pretty dangerous part of town. You don't want to be out at, um, at, at night. You know, you've also got like, uh, uh, you know, and there's gentrification happening all over the place, but Hancock park used to crack me up because Hollywood would be, especially when I first moved here, Santa Monica Boulevard and the streets just off Santa Monica were still full of, uh, of, of prostitutes walking, yeah. like walking the streets. And then you turn left and go South and you're in mansions. <laughs> Hancock park is right there. Just, you know, just South of Melrose. Uh, I have a lift story. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry. It just occurred to me. Uh, and I haven't, and I haven't told this story to anybody because it's 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 not necessarily embarrassing, but boy, it was uh, awkward. So I was, I had a lift, uh, a shared lift. So somebody was already in the car, and then I was notified that I needed to go get somebody else. And it was a long, uh, it was long Sepulveda. Um, I was picking somebody up from uh, from the gym. Okay, and so you know, if you ride, if you drive for Lyft, it'll tell you specifically where that person is. And so I was driving along and I saw somebody standing on the sidewalk, uh, next to the gym. Okay. And I was like, Oh, all right. That must be like, who else could it be? <laughs> so I pull over and the person like walks up and like leans, leans over. And it's this, this younger woman with bleach blonde hair and a very, very, very short skirt. Uh, and so like, so she leans over. So I roll down there and and she's like, Hey baby, how you doing? I was like, Oh, okay. I think I'm looking for somebody else. (laughs) And sure enough, like just, you know, maybe 50 feet down, there's the actual person's like laughing at you. Uh, yeah. And then the person (laughs) in the back is like, Oh boy. Uh, so yeah. So it was, uh, and I was like, wow, it's what was interesting is that, you know, I've never picked up a prostitute. Uh, I have seen prostitutes, uh, in my general neighborhood after a certain point, uh, a certain time of day. Uh, but literally like, oh, I guess how it is in movies is how it is. I guess they're standing there, yeah. they pull up, they say, Hey baby, would you want to have a good time? It's like, wow, that's really cliche. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. And then apparently I would say, yes, you get in the car and then we go do something. Um, I think you go have a good time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, for a while and then, uh, <laughs> turn probably kind of sad, uh, judging by certain things. But, uh, yeah. So, so, you know, uh, all kinds of new experiences here in Los Angeles. That's yeah. what we, the coyotes is all about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked it quite a bit actually. Um, and, uh, I don't know about distribution for that. The next one, the last one I saw, which I'm not going to say nice things about, I'm sorry. Uh, is coming out. Um, it, it did get distribution um, and is coming out in theaters in November, I think. It's called Jonathan. <clears throat> and it stars uh, Ansel Elgort. Okay. An actor that I like and realized this week that's apparently a controversial pos- position among film Twitter people because he got cast in, I don't know if you heard saw the news this week, because Steven Spielberg is remaking West Side Story for some reason. Yes, that's and he right. got cast as that. Tony. Yeah, which I understand thinking that's bad casting, but it's you know a lot of people just hate Ansel Elgort, which is weird. I, I yeah. like I like his energy. I don't like saying his name out loud, but I, he can't really help that. Um, that's true. <clears throat> um, anyway, so this movie is called Jonathan. It also stars uh, Patricia Clarkson. 
Um, and I feel like there's Matt Bomber. Uh, oh yeah, he does show up. Uh, I'm just going by the IMDb cast oh, here. Suki Waterhouse, who was just in Assassination Nation, which I talked about on the podcast a while back. Anyway, so are you reading what Jonathan is about? Don't. Uh, okay. Because I'm going to tell you, it's one of those ridiculously high concept okay. movies. So the premise is that Jonathan is actually two people. He has like a split personality. Okay. And so this is like, it takes place in the present, but there's some sort of technology that Patricia Clarkson as a doctor has, has invented an implant that will allow his two personalities to live, to not be all over each other, but to live separate lives by switching at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. and living for 12 hours a day. Okay. And so they exist kind of as they refer to themselves as brothers and they never obviously interact because they're in the Mm -hmm. same body, but they leave video message for each other at the end of their 12 hour shifts or whatever to sort of keep in touch. And, um, the conceit of the movie that I do like is that we only one of them is our character. The other one we never meet. We only see him on. The oh, video, that's neat. I like that on the videos. Um, yeah, I actually do like that. But um, I think the movie. So basically, what happens is in order to keep this going in a way that tells you for both of them, they both have to um, abide by very strict routines because. Mm. You know, they can't uh, wake up in a weird place or whatever. Um, And what happens is the other one who goes by John, the the one we don't meet, Mm -hmm. um, meets a meets a girl and starts having a relationship by Suki Waterhouse, starts having a relationship. This throws things into chaos and we see the effect that it has on Jonathan's life, who's the more the one who exists more in the daytime and is more like buttoned up and is uh, more reserved. Um, and it's an interesting premise. I think the problem is that it's conceit. It's concept requires so much maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like the present, the movie that it almost becomes uh metatextual. Like the, the movie requires so much maintenance in terms of its sci-fi that it ends up spending more time on that than on the character stuff. It should be dealing with. And then the other problem is that the movie suffers from one of the worst cases I've ever seen of what you have called Aaron Brockovich. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the, the plot of this movie depends almost entirely on Suki Waterhouse's character, not behaving in the way any normal person would. Right. You know, um, because what happens is when the other, when John breaks up with her, at Jonathan's bidding mm. or Jonathan's prodding, mm. it sends him in a bit of a depression. And so then she becomes friends with Jonathan, but like at no point does she like, she knows where he lives. She knows everything. She knows that he, that it's going to be John from these hours. Mm. Why does she stick to this? Like it, she knows what he's going through. Why yeah. didn't she ever show up and say, Hey John, like how's it going? Right. No, she only talks to Jonathan because the screenplay needs her to right. only interact with Jonathan once John breaks up with her. And that like right. I, that that was a that was a uh, a contrivance that I couldn't get past and there's a couple of other things uh yeah. that are that are like that. Um and I just found myself uh, you know, the movie is uh, you know, th- uh, hypothetically or theoretically is building to uh, a, an emotional climax, but I was so so checked out, not just because of the one thing, but just in general, I was, uh, I didn't have time for this movie that I would, this is a little mean, uh, but I would compare it a little bit to, um, Nicholas Cage's brother's screenplay from adaptation, the three, Oh that, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's, it seems to be way more invested in being clever than anything else. And you know, it's, it's something that I've been thinking about. I'm, I'm not somebody I mean, we can all get offended at, at movies and that sort of thing for our own reasons. Uh, and I'm, I'm always reluctant to use the word offended or that something is offensive. Um, but one thing that I, that has been getting to me lately is 
the way movies deal with mental illness and you just use them as a, as a device. Yeah. Um, sometimes as something kind of, uh, incidental or other times this entire movie is that, but it's, you know, mental illness is not an, I think I was talking either in the movie journal or this talking about the difference between a beautiful mind and spider, you know? Yeah. Mental illness, especially I, I, having not had split personalities, but I'm going to assume it's rather messy Mm -hmm. and probably pretty horrifying most of the time. And the idea that, and I, I get that it's science fiction. So there's going to be an element of like, Oh no, we, we invented the whatever devices they say. And thank you for smoking. That's right. And that's going to make this all work out. We're going to, you know, but it just, it's almost like, okay, we want mental illness. We want to do that, but we don't want it as it is. We want it the way we want it to be. Uh, as writers, as directors, whatever, and sometimes as an audience. And in doing so, I feel like it really does not, not that a movie necessarily is required to, to pay some kind of, of tribute to like the people that actually have to deal with this, but it does, you do kind of want to say, you know, this isn't quite so cool <laughs> or neat yeah. for some people. In fact, it's a living hellscape, uh, every day. Yeah. Um, and just, and this idea is like, well, you know, what you're talking about is almost a superpower. You know, you have, <laughs> it's like, I can, li- I can live two lives. Meanwhile, the body still needs sleep. Yeah, no, that, it goes you into know, that. It's, okay. All right. Well, it's that's very specific about when and how much okay. they sleep and what happens to the other one when one of them doesn't okay. get too much. Okay. But that's the thing I'm talking about. It spends so much time tending to its yeah. premise. Uh, that it's, yeah. it's sort of just lost my lost my attention. And that's the thing is, I mean, I recognize I'm a big fan of Psycho and all that sort of thing, but but even that movie, I think through the performance of Anthony Perkins, mm-hmm. um, I think it still is very sympathetic with what he has to deal with. And then, yes, it does reveal this as a cool twist. I'm willing to put some of that down to like, well, it was the time. And then it's but also the last half hour of the movie explaining. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, really letting you know what's going on there. But, and it has that, that shot of, you know, mother like smiling at the camera and all that. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's an element of coolness to it, but at no point do you think that life is easy for Norman and no, or, or neat or fun or anything mm-hmm. like that. You recognize it's certainly not cute. It's certainly not cute or endearing or anything like that. It is, horrible and hellish and oppressive, you know? And so even the movies that are, even the good movies that would seem to be capitalizing on, you know, some of the elements of mental illness, they still understand that for the, for the person in the midst of it, it is no, it's, it's no picnic. They're not, they are not enjoying it as much as we might be enjoying watching it. So I do think it's, it's something that I've been thinking about more lately. Um, I recognize that, that film tends to need to simplify things because life does not exist in two hours, but sometimes it's an oversimplification to such an extent that I think it's, it really doesn't do justice to the, the actual situation. Well said. Uh, and that's my festival. All right. That was all I was able to see. Uh, like I said, hopefully more next year. I still really like the LA film festival. Um, uh, but, um, the, my schedule just didn't, didn't work out. Uh, so you can find us at battleship That's where you can eventually find all of these reviews. I'm still catching up on that stuff. Uh, you keep at it. You can, you can find my happy Prince review. It's not very nice. Um, <laughs> that's up there. Uh, you can, uh, also find something Tyler wrote, uh, the wait, do I briefly men, uh, mentioned it earlier. Yeah. That wasn't on the movie journal. You did mention it. Okay. Yes. yes. So yeah, definitely check out, um, uh, Tyler's take. Uh, um, all that's at battleship You can email us at David at battleship or Tyler at battleship You can follow me, David on Twitter at Davy pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Um, and your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson? That's right. And it is October now, so it's Ooh. it's Halloween times. Spooky. That's right. <laughs> Thank you for the extra O there uh, <laughs> in your pronunciation. That's um, how it goes. So, this, uh, so for those that don't know, Halloween times, so it lasts for all of October, and it means that every episode that we do is 
based on a horror movie or something kind of macabre or something like that. You know, we've done episodes about Coraline, for example, or Paranorman. Uh, so this first week we are talking about Jordan Peele's Get Out uh, with the companion film Night of the Living Dead, the uh, Romero version. Um, but then there's also some good horror stuff. Um, one of the podcasts under the the banner is uh, called Two Geek Soup, and they did it, recently did an episode about the work of H.P. Lovecraft, which I think is interesting. And so... Uh, and then Josh recently uh, wrote a review of Luca Guadagnino's, um, is that how you say it? I think so. Okay. Uh, Suspiria. So he wrote uh, that review. But anyway, uh, so yeah, you can find all that at morethanonelesson.com. All right. Um, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.